Hello and welcome back to The Francisca Show. It's so much fun to be here and I'm so happy you keep tuning in and listening in to the amazing stories of the women in the performing arts world. Today we have a super awesome guest. I know I say super awesome every time, but it really is true every single time. And today is no exception. We have Jessica Schechter, a super talented young woman who has an MFA in directing from the Actors Studio Drama School and has a bachelor's degree in educational theater from NYU. She's a certified theater teacher in New York State and has been acting, directing, running drama programs for over 15 years. Jessica is a professional stand-up comedian and performed for time with the improv troupe Improvadox, a part of the 24-6 Theater Company. She came in second place in the Jewish Week's Funniest Jewish Comedian Competition and recently received the Young Leadership Award at Congregation Ohab Tzedek. Jessica is a resident director at Infinite Variety Productions, a theater company dedicated to telling the untold stories of women in history. She became a director member of the Actors Studio's Playwright Directors Unit in 2016. Trained through Stanislavski and Meisner techniques, she has acting credits in a whole bunch of places that you could read in the bio section of the blog on my website. And one of the famous ones and recent ones include Soon by You, which we will talk about in the episode, and a special needs integrated production of The Little Mermaid, Flatbush High School, and original device pieces at the Dismord Arts Conservatory. She is passionate about bringing professional quality arts programming to Jewish communities and helping people express themselves through improvisation and speaking. Jessica works as an adjunct professor in two different universities and works as a private acting and speech coach for people of all ages throughout the city. She's also the director of education business development at a voiceover company called Creative Media Design. And Jessica is currently producing and acting in the hit web series Soon By You. So definitely check that out. Jessica, it's so much fun to have you here. So great to be here. I feel like I spend time with you now every week. So this it's, is so much fun. highlight of every week for me. <laughs> we'll talk about it later, but Jessica is my writer or co-writer of the new show that I'm coming out with called Reinvention that I'm booking my tour dates for. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Definitely. You should and definitely work with the... Uh, Francisca, because she's amazing, and she will give your audiences a performance they will never forget. But yeah, Jessica is so amazing that I had to hire her myself. So <laughs> let's dive right into it and tell us where you grew up and why a place in New York so close to New York City nobody heard of. <laughs> I grew up in a place called East Northport, Long Island. It's out in Suffolk County, a very small Jewish community. Kind of like a, I always joke that the song Minion Man easily could have been written about my shul. <laughs> it's like a one room little steeple and we have an amazing rabbi and it's a really special place, very warm, very welcoming, but small. And so even though I grew up in Long Island, which is filled with Jews and huge Jewish communities, I kind of had an out-of-town experience growing up because there weren't really any, wasn't really anyone my age in, in shul. And, you know, we struggled for a minion and there weren't kosher restaurants around. And I commuted to Hank. So, you know, I, was, I, I knew of Jewish communities and I'd visit for Shabbos, but, like, my core place was much smaller and had this very out-of-town, friendly, out-of-the-box feel. And I definitely think that contributed to my development as an artist because I was always 
kind of different from everybody and an out of the box thinker. And I'm grateful for East Northport for kind of just giving me this space to explore myself and explore the world without any peer pressure or the need to fit in because there was no where to really fit into. I really identify with a lot of the things you're saying because I grew up in Moscow where there was also not much you can compare the community to myself. It's surprising that you'd have a community in New York like that. Could you tell me more about your upbringing in terms of the religious spectrum? I grew up traditional. So for the first, I'd say like eight to 10 years of my life, I came from a family where we always had Shabbat and we always had a semblance of kosher, but we celebrated those things traditionally. So every Friday night, we'd have Friday night dinner. We'd, you know, talk about our day, talk about the Parsha, but then we'd all go watch the TJF lineup. Uh, as a family that was part of our Shabbos activity and we kept kosher in the house but we would eat dairy out and I and I went to yeshiva high school my whole life yeshiva day school my whole life so it was a very interesting dichotomy because I was learning about all the halacha but we weren't necessarily keeping them at home and it was very confusing I learned to pretend a lot so I would come to school and I'd, I'd go in second grade. I remember I'd ask the kids like, oh, did they see the episode of Step by Step? And they said, no, that was on Shabbos. And I'm like, oh, my family taped it. So I was kind of trying to learn to adapt to those two environments. But when I was around 10 years old, my dad started becoming much more religious. And it kind of went in waves throughout the family. And I remember being in like fifth and sixth grade and struggling not to watch Saturday morning cartoons and struggling not to go to the mall with my cousin on Shabbos and kind of finding that way. So I consider myself a Balas Chuva, but I'm a very young Balas Chuva. So sometimes people don't uh, consider me a part of the club. And I'm also yeshiva educated, so I'm very, very knowledgeable. I've been going to yeshiva since kindergarten. Yes. But by the time I was in seventh or eighth grade, we were basically fully Shomer Shabbat and kosher. And then when I was in the summer after 10th grade, I went on an NCSY all-girls summer program called SEG, which no longer exists anymore. And I became a lot more religious through that program. And that's kind of how I found myself in these women's programming uh, for, for, for Jews, because, you know, there aren't so many outlets for, for Orthodox Jewish women. And that's, you know, when I started to get involved with Atara and different things like that. That's so interesting. It's definitely an interesting combination, having the education, the yeshiva education, but also having the Baal Tshuva experience. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've met anyone like that yet. <laughs> and I've met a lot of different <laughs> types of people. Okay, so moving on along, when did you discover your talent for stand-up comedy? And Oh, so we're jumping already to stand-up. Okay, okay, so forget that. Okay, let's go back then. Tell me more about your education in sure. terms of the arts. No, it's funny. We can, we can, we can talk about the stand-up. The stand-up didn't come till much later in my life. When you so. had what to laugh about in your life. <laughs> I mean, like, I wasn't, I wasn't very funny <laughs> growing up, and... If I said jokes, people definitely didn't laugh at them. So I, you know, that was a part of me that didn't get developed till much later in life. I've always been a performer. I've been performing since I was three. My, my favorite story to tell is I was in my nursery school's Passover play and all the kids forgot their lines and I played all their parts. That is so funny. And you were in third grade then? 
No, I was three. Oh, three years old. Okay. <laughs> That's very school. advanced. Very advanced. I don't know how to do anything else besides perform. And then, so then I was always performing. I went to the Used Dance Center for the Performing Arts in the summers. And I studied theater and painting there. Loved it. Never missed a day. And then I started becoming more religious. And, you know, I found that there were fewer outlets for, for performance. So I started my high school's drama program. At yes. Hank, oh, and amazing. and then I got into NYU's educational theater program, and again, like everyone told me, you can't do this as a religious person; it's impossible. No one can do it. And my attitude was just that I was going to cross each bridge when I came to it, and I was totally religious when I got most of my professional training at NYU and the Actor Studio Drama School for my MFA in directing. So. People say you can't do it, but I think a lot of them haven't really tried. Or maybe I just got lucky. I don't know. I just think that people give up before they even start, and that's really sad. That is very sad. Where were your parents on this journey? Were they supportive? Did they also say, you know, what are you doing this for? <laughs> Especially well, when they became In more terms religious. of support, I was. my mother has always been extremely supportive of me, and my the rest of my family didn't necessarily get it, weren't so supportive. They were concerned when I told them I wanted to go to grad school for directing. And, you know, they were unsure because, you know, it's, it's a scary path. It's a lot of money to take out. It's a huge investment. It's a huge risk. The arts is a huge risk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but they, they tell us on the first day of grad school, and they sat us in a room and they said, if there's anything you can imagine yourself doing besides this, and like, please save your money, get out now, because this is a terrible life, and it's a really unstable career, and it will beat you down. <laughs> then after all of that, you know, they're like, but if you're still here, and this is the only thing you can imagine yourself doing, then you're in the right place. And I really feel that way. You know, this is everything I do is a labor of absolute love. I can't imagine myself doing anything else, and I'm going after it 100%. And I can always become a speech and language uh, pathologist to make my dad happy if uh, if the arts doesn't pan out. But what's really nice is even though their support was kind of mixed or hesitant over the years, you know, since Soon By You and since I graduated and since I've, my productions are getting more acclaimed, you know, my family has become very, very supportive. And that's a really lovely, lovely thing. It is. There's nothing like it. Clearly, you had an amazing performing arts childhood, being in every play and dance program, and you created your own program. Definitely not a dance. I'm a terrible dancer, oh, but all the other arts. I, I doubt you're a terrible dancer. I saw you, <laughs> jumping, I saw you jumping up on in the shul on Soon by You trying to get the... Yeah, the no, I like, I like to dance. I just I don't like to follow the rules of dance. Oh, okay, well, that runs a lot in the... In the arts world. Yeah. How did the transition to stand-up comedy happen? When did that click in your mind? Okay. So, so the switch go off saying, oh, I make people laugh. Maybe I should make a career out of definitely it. Definitely not. No, <laughs> nothing of that sort. So growing up, my aunt actually was a stand-up comedian. So she would come over and tell us stories about her life teaching and we would, you know, be crying from laughter at the kitchen table because she was such an amazing storyteller. So I always had this notion of stand-up, but I never saw her perform live. And I just had heard about it. 
And then I've always loved stand-up comedy, but never in a billion years would I have imagined that my life would be where it is right now. I I wasn't particularly funny. I wasn't I, I wasn't the kind of person that was telling jokes. I certainly would not be billed as a class clown. I was a goody-goody. I was really obsessed with doing well in school and being a good girl. So it was nowhere on the ether. And my senior year of college at NYU, as an elective, I took a class called What's So Funny About New York with this amazing teacher named Cornelia Cody. And it was a comedy class. And we would analyze stand-up comedians. And we learned humor theory. And our final assignment in the class is to do stand-up at a comedy club. That was the final. So she booked That's awesome. uh, booked stand-up New York. And the whole semester, we worked on our routines. And it was like beginner's luck. I, I had a really great set. And I got a lot of laughs. And, you know, the audience was tiny. It was just my What friend. did you talk about? What was your set about? Uh, it was about dating. Of course. The whole, set, the whole set was about dating. Nothing. Nothing's really changed. I had some crazy dating stories from my time in college, and, and that's really what the whole set is about. And there are some jokes from that initial beginning set that I still use in my routine. So that's how it started, and it was such a high. And then that class had a bunch of reunion shows. So we would get together and we'd do shows at Stands of New York or Caroline's. And and then incidentally, I did this show at Caroline's and I bombed. I completely, completely bombed. It was terrible. And I <laughs> didn't ever want to do comedy again. What happened? So I, what happened? So in my early days of stand-up, I would memorize my routine like I would a monologue. But that doesn't work for stand-up because you need to be alive and awake to the immediacy of the moment with the audience. You can't say it exactly the same every time. It doesn't work. It feels stale. It feels over-rehearsed. So I'd memorized this routine. There was no space for laughter. And when they didn't laugh, I just sped through the rest of my routine. There were, everyone was drunk. People were heckling. It was terrible. And I ran off the stage. My mom got heckled. My sister-in-law got heckled. That's it was terrible. There was, it was just so bad, and I never wanted to do comedy again. So I stopped for a long time. And then when I moved back, when I moved to the Upper West Side, I had a friend named Joe Helmreich, who's uh, the author of an, an amazing science fiction novel called The Returns, super talented. And he said, I could get you an end at Stand Up New York if you wanted to try Stand Up again. So he kind of pulled me back in. And that was the year I was working in the South Bronx. And I had so much material from the students there. <laughs> and I started to get back into stand-up. And then a few months later, I did a gig for uh, Jickney, J-I-C-N-Y. And Steve Eisenberg, who was running that program, said, if you do well, you know, I I'll, I'll get you a paid gig. And so after that, I, I got my first paid gig and that's really how it started. And it's just been kind of word of mouth. And I've done a lot of Jewish events and performed all over tri-state area since then. So it's really something I fell into. But my the way I, I have it come full circle is my high school asked me to perform for the 10th grade. Oh, wow. And afterwards, all of my teachers came over to me and they said, where did this come from? Because they were so shocked because I was really nothing like this in, in high school. So it's it's funny to kind of go back to your roots and 
have people see how much you've changed and grown. I think one of my biggest fears will be performing in Moscow. It's because talking about my story to the people right. who are living it sort of there. So, um, but I you'll, you'll, love it. you'll help me cross that bridge when 100%. we get there. <laughs> this is an incredible story. And I love the fact that you're, you were like a goody goody student, not really being all crazy and the funny Person, it, yeah. and, and that's what you became because your life took you on that journey and you you stepped on the train to go live that life and I just want to mention how in a way you're very blessed because you got to take an elective in college that just took you on a whole journey I right. feel like most most girls or young women who go to college and do the seminary and then the credits and the, all their electives are spent on Kodesh, which is amazing, but there's no room, absolutely no room, with the rush of wanting to graduate as fast as you can to take anything that you might be interested in. And then I feel like they fall into the trap of just taking the most practical job, and they never even explore that part of their creative and I, life. And that, I think, is the big mistake. You know, it's, the show is called Soon by You, and people are <laughs> rushing. And, you know, people are trying to rush through life, they're rushing through college, they're rushing through all of their life experiences. And I think people need to slow down <laughs> time to figure out who they are. Because you have limited time that you get to explore. And college is one of those really special ones. And I milked NYU for everything it had. I took every class I could. And I'm grateful that I did really open my eyes to a whole world of possibility and you know that's the byproduct of, of not rushing and not having you know certain things you know not trying to just go after getting the getting the job and the family and everything like I want all of those things but I want them to come at the right time that's very profound so thanks for sharing those messages my pleasure you've mentioned soon by you and since you didn't go to the classic Jewish schools like Stern and Turo, how did you meet Leia and how did you get involved I, in the project? So Leia and I met on the Atara Arts Conference That's about nice. eight or nine years ago. It was really magical. I was saying that that was that year of the conference. It was on the Upper West Side. We stayed in this gorgeous brownstone with the nicest hosts ever. And that is where I met Leah Gottfried and Shane Delantelis, who she was managing. And we just hit it off. And that's how we became friends. And that was an amazing, amazing conference. And Leah and I have been friends for years. And we've been We've always been giving each other jobs. Every time I couldn't take a drama job, she was my first recommendation. We'd sub for each other. We're always kind of, and we were never really in the same place at the same time because we we're always giving each other work whenever we couldn't do and couldn't do a job because there's so few people in the arts, theater, drama world that can do what we do. And we always wanted to work together on a project. And then when she was working on the setup, which is the pilot for Soon by You. She called me up. We met at Coffee Bean. I told her lots of dating stories. And that's how I, I began my involvement, which this amazing thing called Soon By You. That's really amazing. And it's amazing because I don't expect to be entertained by Jewish entertainment. <laughs> I'm sorry to all the people who work so hard. 
But if you're exposed to the secular entertainment, you know, the standards are so high. You expect things done on million dollar budget levels. Very gripping and consider me hooked and my husband. Wonderful. <laughs> so, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, it's really incredible that you're part of it. And I'm so happy I know you. And I feel <laughs> like I get to say, oh, I know these actresses and producers and directors. So I'm sure everything you do comes with, it's, you know, the other shoe that's hanging. There's always another shoe. There's always the other shoe. So tell me about your other shoe and what the challenges are, where the uphill battle is for you. It's a big one. The, there are a lot of challenges, mainly that there's no path. You become a lawyer, you become a doctor, you become a therapist. There's a prescribed path for you to take. You do this many years of schooling, you do this internship, this externship, this residency, and that is how you get your job and that is how you figure it out. For an artist, there is no path. There is no direct one way, this is how you make it. It happens in a million different ways and really hard to predict. And as an Orthodox person, I had very few role models to talk to of people who've navigated this universe and have really worked professionally. I knew a ton of Bali Chuva who were professional. Who gave it up. And then became from, and now are using their professional oh. experiences and infusing it into the Jewish world, which I think is beautiful. But that is really not my narrative. And it's what makes me very unique in this situation is that I was from when I started my professional training. I've always been doing performance my whole life, but when I was at NYU, I was already religious. So I don't know this dichotomy of this is my religious world and this is my artistic world. For me, they're one and the same. I've always been from while I've studied theater and somehow managed to marry the two together. They don't exist as two mutually exclusive things. They each, each one feeds the other. They exist exactly at the same time. Everyone I know in the performing arts world knows that I'm religious. Everyone in the religious world knows that I'm a performer. And they just... They go together. They're married. <laughs> yeah, that's just, that's just who I am. It's for sure challenging to navigate that. There's a lot of jobs they couldn't do and things I had to turn down. But with every door that closes, there are you know, other ones that open. I think one of the only reasons I really work as a professional stand-up comedian is because I'm Orthodox and I can cater to that audience and perform for them. There are so many comedians that are struggling to do anything because they don't have that niche market, that thing that they speak to. And so I'm unbelievably grateful to be religious in this community and, and to be doing these things and, and to have a platform to, to speak and to entertain and to create meaningful work. And I found that I've been really lucky in that the secular projects I work on, I work with amazing artists and they just know the deal that when you work with Jessica, there will be no rehearsals on Saturdays. And as a director, I get to control the rehearsal schedule a little more, which makes life simpler, although still challenging. And I surround myself with a great team of people that I trust so that we can we can go forward, but yet navigating it, figuring out what's the next step, I think is, is really challenging financially. It can be incredibly challenging figuring out how you're going to make a living while doing the thing that you love. And in terms of dating and, and friendships and things, finding people who get you, 
who understand this thing that you do, that it's not just a job. It's not just a nine to five, but it's something that's like all consuming in, in every part of your existence. Right. You definitely went to my next question, which was how, how does this part of your life, the performing Jessica affect the dating life (laughs) of Jessica? It's, I think it's the, you know, I think it makes me unique, special and stand out. I think it's hard to find someone who appreciates that part of me very deeply, who understands that it's not a trend or a cute thing I'm doing on the side, but that it's really a life's passion. And I'm not looking for someone to do it with me. I don't need another artist. I just am looking for someone who really appreciates that I am an artist and that is how I kind of move through the world. And so I think finding somebody who really gets that is challenging, but very satisfying when, when you find people that do. Every every day I have, every time I have a terrible day from my music life, I, um, I don't know if I'd be in this as long as I am. I don't know if I'd start this podcast if I didn't have my husband who would just be cheering me on through the right. terrible emails or terrible feedback or, you know, there's plenty of good, but the stuff that's bad, it just take a thousand good things and then one bad. And I would say they're equal in, in terms of weight, <laughs> what right. they do to you. That's, so, that's, the, that's the curse of the artist is we, the negative feedback. How it destroys you. And you can't say don't take it personally because everything is personal it's about personal. this. It's so personal. I, I have a friend who said to me recently that it's so ironic that artists crave validation and and acceptance and you know applause for their work more than anyone, and yet they go into a field where they are consistently put up to rejection and not places of validation so they're gluttons for punishment in that way because they need it more than anything and they continuously put themselves in situations where they will likely not get it well a lot of people do i think no i think people get a lot of positivity it's just we don't notice it as much as the negative right the positive just flips by oh very nice of course i wouldn't expect anything else and then somebody smashes something onto you and then you're like how dare you? No, it's, <laughs> so it's I'm really challenging to keep your, your head above it. So I'm just in awe of you because you're able to, you're doing this on your own. You're doing this with your friends. You're choosing your friends based on the support and love and understanding that they give you. So kudos to you because you're one heck of a strong woman. Let's just put oh, it that thank way. thank you. <laughs> Um, so I'd like I think to- you are too. I think your story is amazing, and it's been such an honor to work with you and and watch you kind of develop and grow, develop, up. develop and, and and take ownership of who you are. There's so many voices and opinions telling you, telling me, telling everyone who they should be, and figuring out who you are amongst all that noise is really challenging. And I'm really proud of you for fighting through it to let your your own voice shine thank you it really means a lot thanks for saying that so let's move on to our project and mainly what you are doing for me and part of the services you offer and your amazing skills (laughs) that allow you to offer these services so tell us what you do 
And um, sure. so I, I do a lot of things, but over the years, I've really become a developer of shows and projects. So I'm very good at taking an idea and sifting through what it is that the artist is trying to create and finding a concrete way of bringing that to life. A lot of people have ideas, great ideas, interesting ideas, but there's no form, there's no shape, there's no vessel in which to create that. And so I feel like my job as a consultant and as a coach is to help kind of weed through all of that to get to the core of what is the story and, and what's the best way that that story can be told. So for example, the work I'm doing with you, you have all of this exquisitely beautiful music and you. we want to put that music into a framework so that it takes your audience on a journey and isn't just nice music to listen to, which it is, but that there's something deeper there that they come away with an experience, which has always been in you. And it's just a matter of fitting the puzzle pieces together to create that narrative. So the way I've been working with you, Francisca, is I, I, I did a very intensive, deep interview <laughs> into your life. Lots of tears. <laughs> Lots of tears and, and laughter and everything laughter. in between. And then kind of sifted through of what are the core moments in your life that have built up your story. And everyone has multiple stories, but we, we can kind of pick out what are these pivotal moments that have really shaped who we are as we create that narrative. And I'm really proud of how far your show has come. And Francisca just had an amazing performance out in Muncie, yes. right? And, exactly. you know, all of the hard work has really, really been paying off. So it's, it's really wonderful to take artists who are so talented to begin with and just help give them that extra bit of framework that's really going to help their story shine and connect with an audience. Yeah, that's definitely my biggest challenge I hope it's not going to be anymore, but till now, is I'll come sing a bunch of songs, or I'll tell you a little bit of myself, but it never had that pattern, it didn't have like a beginning, middle, build up, and then ending, so I, I felt like after this performance last week that I gave, a, I gave something whole over. I felt like at the end, I felt like there was a message, there was a point. It wasn't just a random combination of beautiful songs, which is exactly what my album is if you turn on you know, right. your playlist. So thank you so much for doing this with me. And everyone should really work with Jessica on any of their projects. So Jessica, could you tell us a little bit about the bad advice that you were given and how that affected your career? I remember you mentioned it. Yes. So me. people like to limit you and pigeonhole you very easily. And so they'll say like, you can't do everything. You have to decide who you are. And I hear that. I think that there's validity to that, but most artists I know are multifaceted and they do a little bit of everything and they have to do a little bit of everything to make a living. And each part of that kind of feeds them. So earlier in my career, I felt like a lot of pressure, like, who am I? Are you a comedian? Are you a director? Are you a performer? Are you a producer? Like, who are you? Pick who you are and do that thing. And while I think that there is logic to that in terms of going wholeheartedly after what you want to be, for me at least, that was not great advice because I really need to do lots of different things 
And that's really what feeds me as an artist. And, and my work as a producer makes me a better actor, makes me a better director. They all feed into each other. And I don't think I could pick one over the other. They're all a part of the multifaceted, multidimensional artist that I am. Wow. Thanks for sharing that with us. It's very important to hear. We'll close with, I want to hear what your dreams are, what you're working on next, what would you like to be doing next? And for us and the audience, the, the women's market, and you probably don't just cater to the women's market only, but what do you need from your audience uh, to meet you? I know financially this is really hard and projects usually cost money. If, if this was your, your channel, <laughs> your little tube to the yeah. audience, and you, you get to tell them, you know, this is what you need to do for, to see my do. next thing. And okay. Well, a couple of that's a lot of layers to that question. My hopes and dreams, there are so many, and they're very open. So I'd love to direct on Broadway. I want to continue doing high-quality, meaningful performances that are at a very high professional level and are, go beyond the Jewish world, though I'd love for you know Jews to come see it. But I want to perform for, and I want to create meaningful performances that touch as many people as possible. I hope Soon By You gets picked up by a network and can go, you know, globally and really have a huge impact. And I just I just want to keep doing what I'm doing and do it bigger and better and find projects that, that touch people and and tell great stories. So that's I'd love and I'd love to, you know, I'd love to travel a little bit with my work. That would be really exciting. That would be. That would really be exciting. What, my, what we need from audiences, we need support and we need, we need you to be fans. So obviously, you know, we always need money financially. So coming to the work and buying the tickets and going to the shows and telling your friends is important. But even if you can't support it financially, support it just by sharing it with your friends and family, by posting about it, by telling people how much you appreciate this work and this artistry and spreading the word because performers can't exist without audiences so we need you to to show up for us because that's all the encouragement we need to keep going and keep telling these stories that's very true i i like to say moshe Rabbeinu would have never been the leader the one and the great leader of the jewish people if the jewish people didn't exist so yeah the performers as great as we are if we don't have to, anyone to perform for then what's the point you know right thank you so much for being on our show thank you so much for having me this was so much fun and I'm so proud of you and you should keep doing the great work that you're doing thank you and same to you I wish you lots of success in everything you're doing thanks for being on our show check out um, Jessica's website that I will post with the podcast and also make sure to vote for Jessica on the Jewish Choice Awards you can vote until January 10th and please go vote now the links are posted in the bio and make sure to support women like Jessica